My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 2, Episode 18 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. My guest this week is Jennifer Cormier of the Haunted Happenstances podcast. Check out her show at hauntedhappenstances.libsyn.com. When I was 10 years old, I lived in a relatively small town in Texas in a small house with my mom. My mom has always had a very caring heart for those in need. So when my uncle called her one night and told her he ran into a homeless girl at a local park, my mom offered to help her out for a day or so just to get her back on her feet, that sort of thing. When the girl arrived at my house, she said her name was Laura. Laura told us she was 16 at the time. She seemed like a shy girl. When my mother asked what she was doing out on the streets, Laura told us that she had been kicked out of her home by her mom because her mom had accused her of sleeping with her boyfriend. Laura told us that the allegation was not true. She told us that her mother's boyfriend was the one who came onto her. My mom gave Laura a place to sleep in the guest room that night. The next day after breakfast, Laura asked to use my mom's house phone to call her mom to see if she could get some of her things from her mom's house. Laura's mom never answered the phone, and we felt bad for her. As a ten-year-old girl, I couldn't imagine what she must have been going through. Later that day, I remember watching TV in the living room and minding my own business, but I could feel someone staring at me, so I turned my head where I felt the gaze. Laura was sending me a glare so cold that if looks could kill, I would have dropped dead right there. I was so confused and a little startled. I turned my head away from her quickly and went back to watching TV. But I could still feel Laura's cold gaze. I couldn't understand what I had done to her to cause her to look at me with such hate. The next day, it happened once more. I was in the kitchen getting a glass of water when I could feel someone looking at me. I turned my head to the side and I saw Laura. Her head was peering around the corner at me. Her eyes were dark and laced with hatred again. It frightened me and I felt so confused as to why she was looking at me like this. I didn't want to cause any trouble so I didn't bring up Laura's death glares to my mother at all. Later that night, my uncle had joined us for dinner. He stopped by to see if everything was going well with Laura and if we had any luck finding her a place to live with one of her family members. After dinner, I was washing my plate in the sink when I heard a loud growling sound come from the dining room. I turned my head to see Laura shaking and growling like some sort of wild animal. My mom and uncle looked disturbed and worried. Laura threw herself onto the floor and began thrashing around and screaming as if she were possessed. I was absolutely terrified. It was a scary thing to witness. 
I grew up very religious. My mom and uncle began praying out loud for Laura while I ran to my room and closed the door. This went on for two hours, but it felt like an eternity of horror. I could hear Laura screaming like a madwoman and growling like some sort of deranged beast. I don't think any of us knew exactly what was going on. After my mom and uncle had prayed for Laura for what felt like forever, Laura told us she was free from an evil demon that had taken her over. None of us were sure what had caused her behavior. None of us were sure what had even happened. I peeked my head out of the room to see Laura smiling happily while she curled up on the couch with a blanket. Her eyes opened and she shot a cold glare at me. I quickly closed my bedroom door in fear. I placed a chair in front of my bedroom door and went to sleep. My mom woke me up the next morning. She told me that she was taking me out to eat at my favorite restaurant. When I asked her if Laura was going, she gave me a serious expression and said, your uncle is going to take Laura back to her mom's house. She slept on the couch last night after what happened. He and I were talking when the two of you had gone to sleep and we placed together that Laura made the entire performance up last night. She's not stable and we think she's dangerous. As I heard my mother say those words, relief washed over me. I got dressed and went to the car to go to the restaurant with my mom. When we got to the car, we saw Laura and my uncle getting in his truck with her. Laura looked angry. Her expression was of a child's when you don't give them what they want. She got into my uncle's car and they drove away. I'm 22 now and I've never forgotten about this horrific incident that happened in my life years ago. After that day, I never saw Laura or heard anything else about her ever again. into a townhouse not far from where I grew up. My father had recently passed away, and it had been a rough few years for me. I was looking to start over in a new place, but not brave enough to leave the state. I fell in love with my new house as soon as I saw it, and since most of the people living in the community were of retirement age, I felt safe, and my indoor cat especially liked the back screened-in porch that faced the woods. Personally, I was glad the woods provided a barrier between my townhouse and the apartment complex on the other side of us. Some of the homes in our community backed up to each other, which means those residents walk out onto their screened-in porches and have a view of someone else's screened-in porch. No thank you. Anyway, I fell into a mild depression after my father died, and when I realized I was becoming a bit of a recluse, I'd wake up, go to work, come home, and repeat. My best friend and I began volunteering for a cat rescue group in the area to try to be more involved. Not long ago, maybe a month or so, she rescued six kittens from behind a store and brought them to my house. I'm very protective of my cat, so I didn't want to expose my fur baby to these kittens without having them tested. 
The group we volunteer with has adoption cages in the local pet store, but kitten season left numerous people vying for that space. The group's director said we could put the kittens up for adoption after they'd been vetted and socialized a little. He asked if I could foster them for a few weeks, maybe more. Naturally, I said yes. Since I had some older cats I was already fostering, my only choices were to house the kittens in the garage or on my back porch. Temperatures have been in the high 90s, so I couldn't in good conscience put the kittens in my hot garage. It also turns out that the kittens had ringworm, which is highly contagious, along with some other health problems. So, the back porch it was. My best friend volunteered to do most of the work taking care of them, which was only fair since she'd brought them to me in the first place. My best friend, let's call her Sally for privacy's sake, started coming over in the evenings to scoop the kittens' litter boxes, clean their cages, feed them, and just hold them so they'd get used to people. She usually went outside to work on this late at night, while I took care of the foster cats I had separated into rooms inside. But one night, a couple of weeks ago, I decided to ask if she needed help. It was around 11 at night, and I needed to go to bed soon. Stepping out, I immediately noticed you can't really see anything beyond the screen on my porch when it's dark outside. I actually had the thought, Someone could be standing there, watching me right now, and I wouldn't know it. But I dismissed the thought and set about helping my friend with the cats. I hadn't been outside long when I began to hear noises in the distance. Twigs snapping, leaves rustling, almost as if someone were walking through the trees and brush back there. I've seen a deer at night in our neighborhood, so I assumed it was some type of animal moving around in the darkness. Maybe a raccoon, or possibly a stray cat. Of course, it was still creepy as hell. Some of the noises grew louder and closer, almost as if on purpose to test our reactions, and Sally kept giving me those wide-eyed looks. A glance toward the woods revealed nothing but darkness. Something was out there, but what? You know that feeling you get when you're being watched? The hairs on the back of my neck had started standing on end as unease unfurled in my stomach. After we finished and went inside, I told Sally, It's creepy out there. I felt like I was being watched. She proceeded to tell me about all the strange noises she'd been hearing every night when she was out there alone, and how she felt like she was being watched too. She hadn't wanted to say anything because she didn't want me to be spooked. We decided we had overactive imaginations, but we tried to make sure we tended to the kittens together from then on. A few other things happened to cause me some worry. For example, one day I had trouble opening my front door with the key. In fact, it was almost as if the key no longer fit, so I asked my friend to try her copy. She had the same problem. We oiled the lock and that worked. But I noticed some strange scratch marks in the brass coating of the lock as well. I couldn't say for sure that they hadn't been there before, so I tried to write it off as just one of those things. A few days later, Sally came down with a stomach virus, which meant I had to care for the kittens alone for a few nights. I really felt creeped out and hated turning my back to the woods when I was out there. One night there was rustling beyond my porch, and I smelled cigarette smoke. This was odd because I knew none of my neighbors smoked, and I wasn't aware of them having visitors over. 
I decided to be brave and asked loudly, Is someone there? I swear I heard a masculine chuckle, but nothing else. The next day, I asked my closest neighbors if they'd noticed anything or anyone strange the last night. They hadn't, and they confirmed they would have been in bed at the times I heard those things. I went to the nearest Home Depot, and I bought a ring doorbell for the front and a security camera with a motion-activated light for the back area. I installed them both that afternoon. I hoped I was just being paranoid, but I also thought it was better to be safe than sorry. Single woman living alone and all that. I didn't receive any alerts on my backyard camera, but a ton on my doorbell one. The clips appeared to be random cars driving past my house, so I changed the motion detection settings to be less sensitive. For a few nights, I continued to take care of the kittens alone, and I heard some sounds, but the motion lights never activated. I started to think I was just being paranoid. And then yesterday morning, I heard my doorbell ring around 7. I was barely awake and preparing for work. A police officer stood on my porch. Some of your neighbor's cars were broken into last night, but yours looks undisturbed. Did your doorbell video capture any activity throughout the night? We checked, and it didn't, probably because I had changed those settings. The officer praised me for having the camera and said it probably deterred the thieves from trying for my car and my neighbors across the street. He wanted access so they could see previous footage, and I gave it to him. I hesitated but told them why I had bought the ring cameras. Upon looking at my door lock, he frowned and agreed it looked like someone had been tampering with it. He couldn't say whether it was related to the car break-ins or not, but he speculated the criminal, or criminals, had been casing the neighborhood for weeks and they'd probably done so at night, and might have realized I lived alone. He said there was no way of telling what might have happened had I not installed their surveillance cameras. He had a forensics officer come by later and dust for fingerprints, but basically they said there wasn't anything they could do beyond that. A patrol car is supposed to be driving by every so often, but I still have the kittens on my back porch. I think I'll go ahead and move them inside tonight, just in case. So, person I'm certain has been watching me at night, let's not meet. This episode is brought to you again by our friends at Shudder, AMC Network's premium video streaming service, super-serving fans of all degrees with the best selection of horror and thrillers. Shudder is the Netflix of horror with the fastest-growing human-curated selection of horror entertainment. For just $5.99 per month or $56.99 per year, you'll get streaming ad-free access to a unique collection of exclusive and original films and series, horror classics, as well as blockbuster hits. You can stream Shutter on all of your favorite devices like your iPhone, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, and plenty of others. I finally got a chance to sit down and watch the Creepshow series that I was talking about last time, and I was really pleased with how they handled such a legendary piece of horror that was really important to me. They also added Season 4 of Channel Zero, which I've been wanting to see for a while, and I can't wait to check that out. Get started streaming the best horror, thriller, and supernatural content. 
Shudder's expertly curated collection includes titles like One Cut of the Dead, Revenge, and the new Creepshow TV series produced by Greg Nicotero and based on the famous films by George Romero, which I can't recommend enough. To try Shudder for free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use promo code LNM. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use promo code LNM. Now, back to the show. I've had a few stalkers in my life and quite a few weird things happen, but none of those things bother me like this one does. When I was around seven or eight in the 80s, when I answered the phone one day, the man on the other end somehow pulled me into this conversation. I don't remember what we talked about or why he was calling, but we talked about an hour. I don't remember anything creepy from that conversation. Well, not that one anyway. Over the next year, he called six or seven times, and each time we talked a bit more. He usually let me talk, all that I wanted. And I told him a lot of things. I don't really know why. Maybe because he was the only person who ever listened to me and didn't blame me for everything. He was always sympathetic and on my side. My home life was not great. He also had this raspy voice that was slow and soft-sounding. For about five years, he would call for a few weeks at a time, every three or four months. Eventually, he told me that he traveled a lot, and he was only in my area certain times of the year. He also said he worked with kids, but he never told me what he did. Over those five years, his questions got more personal, leading to more sexually charged questions. But he had earned some kind of sick trust from me, and though I was reluctant, he eventually got me talking about sex. By the time I was 13, I knew our conversations were wrong, and I started avoiding the phone. I never answered if I could help it. Whenever he did catch me answering, he would make me feel bad for avoiding him, like I was his only friend or something, and sometimes I felt he was my only friend as well. Around that time, he told me a story of a girl around my age that he had messed around with at a camp or something. How she'd asked him to touch her somewhere. I felt very uncomfortable when he told me, but continued to be nice because I was a little afraid of making him mad. I don't know why, just my instincts, I guess. One day, he called and told me he'd seen me that day walking home from school with my friends and told me what I was wearing. I was thoroughly creeped out now. I was beyond scared. I didn't know why I didn't tell my dad, who was a police officer. I guess I thought I'd just get in trouble because of all the stuff that I did tell the guy. Then he asked me to meet him at a Walmart parking lot nearby my house. I told him I would, but I had no intention of doing so. My phone rang so many times that night, and I wouldn't answer. When someone did answer, no one was there. I pretended like I didn't know anything about it. I stopped answering the phone altogether. I made scheduled times for my friends to call, and I never walked home alone. 
I never talked to him again. But he did call many times up until I was 16. He would ask for me. And I'd say that, uh, you have the wrong number. And I'd hang up as soon as I heard his voice. But that's not the end. In 2005, I went to college. I was about 30 at the time. I was driving home from class, and I was flipping through stations on the radio, and a voice caught my attention. I kept listening, and I was certain that it was his voice. I was dumbfounded. It was a Christian station talk show, talking to a guest who was a youth pastor who traveled around. I know it was him. He even told some stories to this station that he had told me before. I listened the whole way home. Once I got home, I turned it off and I tried to forget about it. After a few days, I thought I should contact the station, but my radio wasn't on that station anymore and I just couldn't figure out which one it was. In 2015, I was visiting my sister who was 20 years older than me and we got to talking about it. I told her a little and she told me he had talked to her a few times as well, but she didn't know he'd ever talked to me. She didn't know who he was or how he got her number. I still wonder if he's out there, still preying on young and vulnerable girls or what. I hate thinking about it now. I hate thinking now what he might have done to someone. And I hate that I never told my dad. Even though nothing bad actually happened to me, it did affect me my whole life, mainly the way I am with my kids. No one understands why I'm so overprotective. Even my adult children now, they don't understand. I don't trust anyone outside my inner circle, and I eye everyone as a potential creeper. It's kept me and my kids safe, I guess, but it didn't allow me for much living. I live in Alabama in a town where we have a Piggly Wiggly and one caution light. It's extremely small and we all know each other. I was invited to attend a church that was in the next town over, a small congregation for a large church building. Immediately I became involved with the youth group, going to every event that they had. I grew up in a religious household, but we never attended church mostly because my father had always had negative experiences when joining local churches, all fire and brimstone being as we were in the midst of the Bible Belt. Regardless, I had to test the waters myself. I should have heeded my father's warnings. This church was small and like everything where we live, in the middle of nowhere. The youth pastor left shortly before this incident occurred. I believe he realized how crazy the head pastor and his staff really were and left the youth and its already brainwashed and damaged children. The other male members of the staff began running all of the youth functions. The week after the youth pastor left, we came to the Wednesday night service per usual. At the time, I had just started dating my now husband, and we came to the service together. He played guitar for the youth band and was also heavily involved in the church. When we arrived, the room was extremely dark, with a few candles lit towards the stage, which we all found strange, but no one questioned. We all hung out around the stage, waiting for service to start. 
My husband was readying for the worship service they had previously practiced for at the beginning of the week. They performed the worship service as usual. Directly after, the elders of the church came out and sat us all down. We all thought that was strange as well. They proceeded to preach a sermon about speaking in tongues and the other fruits of the Spirit. They explained to us all that we all had the ability to speak in tongues, we just had to unlock this gift from God, like it was a damn video game. One at a time, they pulled us out of the group to another area of the church. I didn't quite understand why they were doing this, and I started to become nervous as I watched all of my friends walk off one by one with them. It was my turn next, and I could see my husband was nervous for me. They also had not called him away yet. My heart was racing, not knowing where the others had gone and where they were taking me. I followed them to an area where I was literally surrounded by adults who claimed to have been speaking in tongues. It sounded like nonsense. As they all lay their hands on me, I get a horrible gut feeling that something is very wrong. One of the men began asking me very personal questions. Was I a virgin? Did I consider myself pure before God? Things of this sort. The whole time while the others are chanting in their tongues, I admit I was very naive at this age and was not good at telling anyone no, especially in an adult. But I at least had the sense to know this was something I wanted no part of. Apparently, I did not participate how the adults expected me to. I would not join their chanting and I came off as defiant, not answering their questions. Eventually, after some time of being questioned, the adult male began telling me I was the, quote, cause of everything wrong in my life, and that there was something wrong with me, that I was a problem, and that's why I wasn't speaking in tongues. I abruptly left the circle of adults to go find my husband once his manner turned into this spiteful rage. This man was infuriated that I would not participate. Once I made my way back to my husband and I explained what had happened, he began collecting his things so we could leave immediately. One of the elders spotted him and said to my husband, You can't get away that easily. This literally sent shivers down my spine. They wheeled him away to the circle and I was left alone. I waited out in the parking lot for what seemed like an eternity. Finally, he emerged from the church walking towards me, and we got in the car and left. I questioned him about what happened, and he said he just gave them what they wanted. To this day, I still am not sure what he meant by that. We rarely speak of it. A few months ago, my husband started a new job at a car shop in a completely different city. He came home one night and seemed a bit shaken. After probing him with questions, I found out that the franchise has their own chaplain that goes store to store to speak with the employees. It turns out the lead male who asked all of us those very personal questions that night is now the chaplain for his store. He has managed to dodge the guy, scheduling his off days on the days he knows that he'll be hanging around the store. His co-workers always point out how this man always asks about my husband and how he is honestly just a very creepy guy. He hasn't run into him yet, but I can clearly tell he doesn't want to see him ever again, more so than me. 
It's also important to note that every one of our friends that went to the same church all have been dealing with severe struggles, drug addictions, depression, some have committed suicide. My husband has had his dealings with depression and drug abuse after this incident as well. And now it seems this man is trying to re-enter his life since he has cleaned up and is finally in a better place. As I'm sure you can tell, we never want to meet these crazy chanting people ever again. these Let's Not Mate stories. However, I've never posted my own encounters until now. The story happened almost 11 years ago, late summer of 2006. I was an 18-year-old freshman in college. I went to a tiny college at the opposite end of the state. I lived in the basement slash ground floor of an old dorm. My floor was men only, but the floors above us were women. And then on the other side of the dorm was all men. I have some stories that are sort of creepy, but this one takes the cake. And at the time, it didn't really click as creepy. Hindsight is twenty twenty. I was young, naive, and, well, you know. I was in the best shape of my life. Six foot two, 180 pounds, handsome, etc. I'm ten years older now. A hundred pounds heavier now. I was young and good-looking in college. In my dorm, there was a communal bathroom for all 20 guys to share. Two stalls, two urinals, and two showers. That's it. One of the showers had an air vent that was about seven feet up, but on the outside, it came out on the ground level. Well, one hot summer day, I'm taking a shower and just talking and joking with the guy in the shower next to me. All of a sudden, I hear someone else talking to me. I think... Okay, maybe someone is coming to the bathroom and just wants to use the shower or something. That thought quickly leaves my head as I realize that the air vent has been opened and the dorm's maintenance man and janitor is now looking at me through the vent. This guy is 50-ish and looks like the actor Clint Howard. You know, the ugly redneck guy and a lot of the Adam Sandler movies. He had a thick Appalachian accent. He somehow knew my name, and I, I don't remember giving it to him, but I have said hello to him a few times. He was also trying to make small talk. It was very weird. I mean, I was weirded out by the college janitor peeping on me and then trying to start a conversation while I was showering, but for some reason at the time, I, it didn't register that what he was doing was super fucking creepy and illegal. I just thought he was being weird and I politely asked him to close the vent. The guy in the shower next to me quipped that the janitor did that all the time. What the fuck? And he thought it was weird and creepy too, but harmless. They joked that the best time to shower was later at night, lest the perverted janitor tried watching and starting conversation. It was apparently a common occurrence on my floor. 
My floor was mostly made up of freshman football players. I was not one of them. And I guess the janitor liked to talk to all these guys that were on the team about football. Through the air vent while watching them. I shudder at the thought. I would see the janitor occasionally around the dorm after that, but I never experienced him spying on me again, thankfully. I never told the resident life or college administration about the janitor doing those creepy things, and this was in August or September of 2006, so way past my time that I could try to do anything. I hope maybe someone spoke up one day, and maybe he was fired, but who knows. So creepy janitor? from my freshman year in college, I doubt I'll ever see you again, but in case I am back in that area, let's not meet. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Let's Not Meet. I'd like to thank my guest, Jennifer Cormier. Her podcast is a truly spooky series of ghost stories from Boston, Massachusetts. Jennifer chronicles these terrifying tales from her hometown that can only be described as haunted happenstances. Check it out again at hauntedhappenstances.libson.com or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. This week you have heard A Girl Called Laura by Reddit user Teaspoon of Charity. House of God by Annie Bell 19. He's Still Out There by Reddit user Katie J. Watcher in the Woods by listener Angela. And Creepy College Janitor by an anonymous Redditor. If you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Not Meet and you'd like to get more, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast where I do bonus episodes every other week and single stories scattered throughout. Uh, I don't know how much longer I'll be able to do the Patreon simply because I'm running out of stories. Um, I'm burning through them almost twice as fast because I'm doing those extra episodes. Um, so if you'd like to send in your story to hear it on the show, please don't hesitate. Send it into let's not meet stories at gmail.com. I read everything that I get and I use anything that I feel would fit the show. I don't think that I say it enough on the podcast. Um, I try to keep the banter at the end of the episodes down to a minimum. I know that's not what you're here for. You're here for the stories. But I do just want to take a moment to thank all of my supporters, everyone on the Patreon who's supporting me that way, and all of my listeners here that simply send me feedback, leave me reviews on iTunes, um, or reach out on social media, share the stories, all of that stuff. It's really great, and you're making this a lot of fun for me. Um, I love doing Let's Not Meet. Uh, And I love... uh, sort of having a friendship with all of you. Uh, Everyone is very active in the Facebook group and on Twitter, and I love getting to know all of you. And everyone shares their stories and links to other spooky stuff like that. Um, It's just been really great. It's been really good for me. Um, Anyway, I'll let you guys go, and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet. Let's Not Meet.